The scripture reading for this morning comes from Genesis 1. If you'll take your Bibles and open to Genesis 1, we're going to read the entire chapter, actually, of creation. The seven days of creation um, will be stopping after he rests, seventh day. Uh, I'm going to say a couple of words of introduction to set up our reading of the scriptures this morning. Uh, For those of you, by the way, who don't know me, I'm not Paul Phillips. He is the pastor of this church. And if you never have seen him before, just look in the second row. His son is here. He looks just like him. Um, He's even dressed like him, I think. But but that's Zach. You can see him. He looks just like Paul. Uh, But I am the director of youth and music ministries here at the church. And from time to time, um, I step in when he needs a rest. Genesis 1 is the kind of passage that Christians read David Heinrichs come to to prove an argument or to disprove an argument. In other words, we come to Genesis 1 with something already in our heads, right? For example, what I have done before in the past is this. I have in my mind, God created everything out of nothing. Many people in the world today don't believe that. And so if I come to Genesis 1 wishing to disprove that, then I come to certain verses and I'm fine. But I come to other verses and I stumble. And so if you come to Genesis 1 trying to prove that God created out of nothing, it's difficult. It seems almost that in the seven days of creation, God didn't create out of nothing. Now, he did. That's a true statement. And you can go to a dozen passages, Psalm 33, Psalm 103, uh, and a dozen other passages. John 1 is probably the best, where it states explicitly that God did, in fact, create the universe out of nothing. But Genesis 1 is a little difficult. In the first verse, we see God created the heavens and the earth. The first day, God said, let there be light. What did he create the second day? You begin to question, is he really creating? Well, he creates an expanse between the waters above and the waters below. He's creating an expanse. And it's weird. It's, it, and, and even in verse 2, Right after he says that God created the heavens and the earth, in verse 2 it says that the Spirit of God hovered over three things that are created already. Before the creation, before day one, there were water, darkness, and and there there was something going on there. There was some things that were created. And the earth, it says, was void and formless. So it's difficult to to prove this using Genesis 1. If we were to sit Moses down and ask him, Moses, why did you write Genesis 1? Is that the reason? He would say, no, that's not what I'm trying to prove with Genesis 1. So let's take a step back from that and just say, what is Moses trying to say? Another thing we do commonly, this is what I do. We come to Genesis 1 and we think that God created the world in seven days. That's what what we're trying to prove. In other words, we come into contact with evolution, Darwinian evolution, and the geological, you know, just uniformitarianism, a long earth, huge, long expanse, the old earth. And we come in and say, no, the earth isn't old, it's young. And thousands upon thousands of pages have been written about one Hebrew word, day, Yawn. That's what it is. Day. How many times have we talked about that as Christians? Now, is this important to talk about? Yes. Is the earth young? We're divided, right? We don't know. Maybe. Maybe yes. Maybe some of us think yes. Some of us think no. But do we go to Genesis 1 with this in our minds to prove this 
And we ask Moses, Moses, are you trying to disprove Darwinian evolution? Moses would say, no, I'm the soccer coach for my five-year-old Haley right there. And Haley is so excited to play soccer along with Sam Hackney and a bunch of other five-year-olds. And as we are running down this field trying to, I'm the coach thinking, what are we really doing? Passing, dribbling, scoring? I mean, what are we really doing here? And you know what, you know what I came up with? Two things, run faster and kick farther. If you run faster, the first person to the ball, they usually win soccer games, right? If you can get to the ball first, you usually win a soccer game. And secondly, if you can kick the ball, that's the other point. You can't pick it up and hold it and run with it. You, you can't hold your neighbor, you know, push him down. You got to kick the ball. The ball's the focus. So run faster, kick farther is what I've been teaching my, my five-year-olds. But, you know, when we played a scrimmage the first practice, I threw the ball out and they kicked it down the field. And now we've got the ball way over here and all the kids over here. Every one of those kids ran as fast as they could, obeying their coach. And the first kid that got there put his hand on the ball and says, I won. As if to say, I won the game of soccer. And I'm like, no, 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 you didn't. Well, yes, you, well, I did tell you, but no, that's not exactly. You see, that's what these two things are. When you come to Genesis, you, it's true. Yes, you need to run faster, but that's not the whole point of the soccer game. Genesis 1, Moses would say, yes and yes, those are true things. Okay, we get that, but that's not the point of Genesis 1. Open your mind and try to think as I read the first seven days of creation, what the point of this passage is. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God saw the expanse heaven and there was morning evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry, dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters he were, that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit bearing fruit, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let their waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. 
And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let's skip to chapter two, if you'll go there. That was the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. If you'll take a moment and sit and just think about what we've just read. So while that probably wasn't enough time to really think deeply about this scripture, we're going to be thinking about it, and I'm going to suggest an interpretation. And I think it works. I I know it works. A lot of scholars um, are with me on this, and I I want to present it to you this morning as a way to interpret Genesis 1 and what it really is about. Remember, we're talking to Moses and asking him, what do you think Moses really had in mind when he wrote this? If it wasn't these two, which are true statements, but still, what is Moses thinking about? I think it's this one. That God calls us to be like him during this first week. God calls us to be like him during this first week. Either Genesis 1, the first seven days of creation, is really only things that God can do. Not something we can do as people. Those are incommunicable attributes of God. Things only he can do. What's the response of a human in that sense? Just to praise God, right? Just to glorify God. Or God is calling us to be like him. He is demonstrating things that he's doing the first week that he wants us to do. Now, it seems odd that God the creator would ask us to create, isn't it? We can't say, let there be light. We can't go into space and make things like he did. We certainly can't, to the extent that he did, do what he did the first six days of creation, first seven days of creation. But there are lots of clues in the seven days that God is calling us to be like him during this first week. Let's look at three things. First, what is God calling us to do? What is it we're supposed to do? And then, who is supposed to do what? It's not just everybody does everything. It's certain people do this and certain other people do that. It's a, it's a division of labor, if you will. And then we want to ask the question, why did God design it this way? So what are we supposed to do? Who does what? And why did God design it this way? And I think you'll see that it is God calling us to be like him. 
First, we see in Genesis 1-2, we see two problems, right? Two problems. The earth was two things that God did not think was, was good. He thought the earth, he saw the earth and described it as formless. Now, if you think of that word formless, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of formless? Probably water or air, something you can't contain, right? Something that's kind of just flowing and you can't really structure it. You know, what I think of is my sixth grade English class at Leland Middle School. As a, as a new teacher the first year, I remember my principal telling me, David, when you have to go to the bathroom or get some water or go down the hall for just a couple of minutes to make a copy, don't tell your kids you're going to leave. Set them up to do something and then sneak out. And I said, no way. I'm an honest person. I want the kids to know me for who I am. And so I, in all my infinite wisdom as a new teacher, said, kids, here are 10 problems on the board about grammar. I want you to figure them out. I need to go to the bathroom. I'll be back. Yes, I'm human. So I left the classroom three minutes later because, I mean, I was moving. I was like, I'm going to prove my principle wrong. I got back into the classroom. There was blood on the floor. There were three kids duking it out, right? There was uh, two teachers from other classrooms pulling kids apart. The assistant principal's on the walkie-talkie calling for the deputy. It was formless. (laughs) It was chaos. There were no rules. There was no structure. There were no routines. When the teacher leaves the classroom, it's formless. That's a problem. That is not good. If you have this in your life, you, along with God, should look at your life and say, that is not good. It is not good. The the days of creation, he says it over and over again, it's good, it's good, it's good. Why? Because he brings structure and form to something that is formless. The second problem we see in Genesis 1-2 is the other word there, empty. It's empty. The, another version might say void. What do you think of when you think of empty? Your bank account, right? <laughs> I think. My gas tank, right? But I also think of Christ Community Church in the first couple years I was here. But before I was hired in 2006, uh, Nancy, Paul's wife, M- Morgan and Zach, their kids, were the youth group. And it was them and a couple of friends. Am I right? Remember these days back then? You just you, you got into a room and you tried to do something. And I came in and it was just a few kids. You know, youth pastors talk about a critical mass. We got to have a critical mass. We can't just have two or three kids. You can't have a youth ministry with just, you know, just... Now, you can have a Bible study. but And there are good things. I mean, hear, you, hear me say this. There are good things that teenagers need to do in a group setting in life, okay, then in youth ministry, but you need a group, you need a, you know, 15, 20, whatever the critical mass is. So basically what was told to these kids is, hey, go just find some friends, whoever they are, just bring them to church. We'll have a youth ministry before you, before I even got my vision, you know, my thoughts about what youth ministry is, it was really just about getting a critical mass. That's what I thought. I got to fill this space, empty houses, empty strip malls, just vast wasteland of nothingness. God looks at that and he says, that's not good. It's not good to be empty. Okay, so if, if those are the two problems, formless and empty, the two solutions to this problem is rule and fill. Hence the title of the sermon, to rule and to fill. Think about this. What does the formless chaos of a sixth grade classroom with no teacher need? Someone to rule. Someone to make the rules, to make the structures, to make the routines, to make the patterns, to give the vision and structure. And everything has its proper place, right? Everything in its proper place. You need someone to have dominion over that formlessness. And you do ruler kinds of things. 
in an authoritative way. Here, I'm going to separate this and do this and that. Then to the empty, you don't rule the empty. You fill the empty. You fill it with something or some things. Okay, so what do we see in the first six days, not the seventh, but the six days of creation? We see the first three days, God is ruling in the formlessness. He's solving the first problem. He comes into the earth being formless and he gives it shape and structure and form. Think about it. The first three days, the first day, what does he do? Let there be light, not let there be a sun and the moon and the stars. Just light in general, you know, just light. And then what does he do? He doesn't just say, he doesn't just create light. He separates light. See, this isn't even creation at this point. Something you can do. You can separate the light from the darkness. This is something I can do. And he does that. Then he does something very interesting that only a ruler really does. Not only does he give it being and and create it, he also separates it and puts it in categories and structures it. He also names it. The light, I'm going to call day. And the darkness, I'm going to call night. It's It's a way to own something or possess something to call it your own. Right? This is God ruling. Second day, what does he do? He creates another space for things to live In this case, he creates an expanse, which really you're creating nothing. (laughs) Really, you're just creating a separation. That's what you're doing. Is that something we can do? Can we create out of nothing? No. Can we separate things and put things in their proper place? Well, we can't do that with space. I'll, I'll give you that. We can't do that with space. But we can in life. And that's what we do. When we rule something... When we have authority and have dominion over it, we separate things out, don't we? So God said, the sky's up there, the seas are below. I'm going to call you one thing, call you the other thing. But then he walks away. He doesn't fill anything on day two. He walks away to create the next space, the third day. And that's where he focuses on land. Land, you're over here. Seas, you're over here. You separate it. You call it a name. It's, it's just like clockwork. The first three days are the same. And he says, good, good, and good. Solve the problem of the formlessness, right? Now he goes into the second three days. The fourth day, notice something. He goes back to day one, doesn't he? He goes back to day one. Let there be light, says day one. Day four, let there be lights. There's an S, there's plural. What's the difference? He's not giving form or structure. What he's doing, he's filling the empty space. He's creating a structure, a form. Then he's filling it with things. You you, you see that? The sun, the moon, the stars. And and he creates certain roles for each thing in this space that he he fills. Day five does the same thing. It goes back to day two, right? Day two is all about the sky and the waters, the expanse. What does he do in day five? He creates animals, that fly in the air and animals that fill the sea. He's filling these empty spaces with living creatures. Isn't that amazing? And then day six, he goes to the thing that's left, the land, the empty space he created land. And then he just puts things in it. He talks about creeping things and cattle and animals. And then the climax of creation is he puts man in there, man and woman, male and female. He creates them and he fills the space. Okay, so we have solved two problems. So that's what we're supposed to do. You and I, right? We're to imitate God in ruling and filling, okay? 
He said, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Think about this. So many things have been written about the image of God. And what does it mean? And it's a mystery. Language, capacity for abstract reasoning, music, communication and expression, art. These are all things that God has that we also have. But I think Moses would say, I'm really only talking about two things. I'm not saying that the being created in the image of God is only about two things. I'm saying Moses is writing with two things in mind. So remember, we're asking Moses what the point of Genesis 1 is. He would say, the image of God, you know what that is? Let's read the next verse. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth just like God. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Rule it. You see? Just like God. The first three days, rule over the earth. The second three days, fill the earth. So we get this idea. This is what we're supposed to do. Now, second question is, who's going to do what? And I'm suggesting there's a very clear gender role differentiation. Genders have different roles here. Verse 26, male and female, he created them. And then verse 28, there's two roles that men, mankind, humans, are going to have. Rule and fill. Which one does the guy do and which one does the girl do? Now, at this point, you might step on some toes in our culture today. Because gender roles are confused There's a huge gray area of what a woman does and what a guy does, right? It's huge gray area. And it's, and it's because of technology, because technology levels the playing field for everybody. Everybody can sort of do everything. Men, you can sort of step into the woman's role with technology. Now, granted, guys, you you can't get pregnant, right? But you can do a lot of things they couldn't do in 1312, Without technology, guys now can do a lot more motherly things because of technology. In addition to that, women can now come into the man's role, right, and do a lot of things. Now, does Moses make this point? Is he making this point? Am I just reading into it? Am I just a guy that wants to rule and women, I just want them to fill? Maybe. But let me ask you this. (laughs) Maybe. But first thing, let's just look at biology. Okay? Biology. Men physically, generally speaking, statistically across the board, we're taller, we're stronger physically. Females, what's your biology say about your role, right? What's our contribution to filling? Let me ask you that question. What's our contribution? Very small, very small contribution. You carry the baby who's 100% dependent on you for nine months. You then care for the baby. If the baby's hungry when it's born, I mean, dad's going to be helpful only to the extent that he has a mom, right? Mom, you have to be there to feed the child. Your biology suggests, it doesn't just suggest it, it tells you the original intent. Now, this gender role distinction is Moses saying, this is what we ought to do today. Genesis 1 is teaching us, men, you rule, and females, you fill the earth, and never the two shall mix, And I'm not saying that's what he's saying at all. I'm just saying the guy is designed to do one thing and the female is designed to do another. Remember, the female is being helped by the guy to fulfill this. We have contributions to make. But women are also 
helping the man. It's the, it's the suitable helper that God said for Adam to rule the earth. So we're helping each other. It's not just, you know, we're doing our own little thing and never communicating. Okay, so now we've established that just based on biology. But let's look at the biblical account. Let's ask Moses, is that what he's saying? Let's look. To the woman. This is the consequence of sin in Genesis 3. And here it becomes clear. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. It's pretty clear. The woman's role is to fill, be fruitful and multiply. That's primarily, not only, but primarily her role. She sins. God says your consequences about your role. Now, filling the earth is painful. To the man and to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed be the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. You see that? Thorns and thistles. So ruling over the earth, the man's primary job is his consequence. So it's a subtle way of telling women, this is your role. Men, this is your role. Now, is Moses saying this prescriptively? In other words, if you're a female hearing to these words, listening to Moses, is Moses telling you females to not rule, not get that job? Not develop technology, not try to create a roof over your head or, you know, an environment that's safe, not to domesticate animals, all the things that we're involved in in the world, in our careers. Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. I don't think he makes that point. I don't think that's the point at all. And that's where we're getting into this third step. What's God's design? Why does he set this up this way? Is he saying only to men that you should rule and you shouldn't be involved in filling the earth? No, of course not. What he's saying is this is a picture of the church. You ask God. Now, not even Moses. We're done with Moses. Let's go, go to God. God, why did you design it this way? Why would God design a system to be like this? Because it's a picture of the church. You and me today. We're sitting here today. What is our role? And what is Christ's role? Think about that. Let's look at a few verses, and I think it'll become clear. John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Days of creation, days one, two, and three. I, well, if it were not so, would I have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Right? I'm the ruler, says Jesus. I'm the one that's creating the new heavens and the new earth for you to live in when I come back the second time. I'm in charge. I have dominion. And then I'll take you, he says to the disciples. But of course, not just the 12 disciples. All of us, the church. I'll take you to my place. And there where I am, you shall be also. Let's look at this one. Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to David Heinrichs, the leader of the youth ministry. Right? It's not mine. It's Christ's authority. All authority has been given to Christ. He's the husband. He's the groom. He's the man who rules as the first three days of creation. And then what does he say to us? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill. That's what he says. Fill. 
I will be the ruler and you church bride of Christ, you will fill. And that's our goal. That's what we're doing here on earth. Ultimately, we are to fill this new heaven and new earth. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I, the great husband, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Now, here's a couple of applications as we end our discussion. Uh, First, we want to read and study the Bible deeply. If you come to a passage and you know the characters and you know the stories and you walk away, you've missed it. Sit the author down and say, what did you mean by that? Right? What did you mean by that? And then once you understand the original meaning of what's happening, then you want to see the thread all through the Bible to the end in Revelation. You want to see this. You want to talk about slavery to sin and redemption as those who've been set free. That's a theme in the Bible. You want to talk about forensically being guilty in court for your sins. The whole sacrificial system paying for your sins. And now you're justified and, and you're, you're declared righteous. That is another theme. Or you're the prodigal son running away from God. Cut off from the family. And you've been adopted into God's... All of these themes I'm talking about. Read them the same way. Read them deeply, carefully, and then see the thread all through Scripture. There's, there's, there's something that ties it all the way from the beginning to the end. Just like we did here this morning with the six days, the seven days of creation. So that's the first thing. Read carefully the scriptures. Secondly, don't rule the church. We as the church should never put people higher than Jesus. We never should put or put clothes on them or give them status and titles or pretend there's something they're not. It's delegated authority. If you're if you have authority in a church. It's only from Jesus that you have that authority. He's the ruler. And, and when you think about ruling the church and trying to help Jesus rule the church, like a good wife would, we are helping Jesus rule this, this church. We're, we're, we're asking, what would Jesus do constantly? What would Jesus do? That's the ruling of the church. And that's a mistake you can see Christians make a lot of times. And let me ask you this question. How much of your time as a Christian is spent building up the structures of this place here? Versus filling this place. I think sometimes we get that backwards, right? We spend too much time here thinking about the structures and routines of our church. And and what we don't remember is that we're supposed to fill this church, you see. We're supposed to have an outward view. And, of course, the third is to be fruitful and multiply. All of our activities on earth, the difference between earth and heaven, this is it. We're being fruitful and we're multiplying. We're, we're going to end the second coming, the end of time. We're going we're gonna, to, Christ is going to come and he's going to be the husband and we are going to be the, the wife, the bride of Christ. And we will have this great marriage where we come together and we enter into the new heavens and the new earth unified. And that's what this morning really is all about. Communion. Well, we come together with Christ. As you walk down the aisle this morning, there's lots of things you could think about with regard to communion. 
But one helpful thing, one perspective that might be helpful is to say that you are marrying Christ. You're communing with Christ. You're participating with Christ in this great rulership and filling of his church. It says that Jesus broke the bread, broke the bread right in half, just like his body was broken. He just breaks it. This is my body broken for you. And then Jesus says this, the wine is my blood. And it is spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What a great picture, isn't it? A great picture of the communion with our Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, as we have walked down this aisle and we have communed with you, we are struck with with your role in our world. We want you, Lord, to have all the authority and to rule, to go before us into every crevice of this earth and to create order out of chaos, to heal those who need it, to unify our language, to let us communicate this great gospel to all the world, Empower us, your bride, to go out and be fruitful and multiply. We need so much, so much to be able to do that. And we pray that you would provide every need. And now, Father, as we sing, let our voices raise high this great gospel. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.